Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. Welcome everyone to Star Wars Bookworms, the show where we discuss and review all the new Star Wars releases from Dark Horse Comics and Del Rey Books. I'm your host, Teresa Delgado, and as always, I'm joined with my co-host, Aaron Goen. Aaron, how are you? Good, how are you, Teresa? Pretty good. I understand we have a special guest with us today. We do. Um, lately in the uh, Star Wars kind of fan community, one of the things that has been kind of a sticking point is diversity in Star Wars. So I just wanted to point out that we're doing our part to be diverse because we do have a female host on our show. <laughs> and, and you also happen to not be white. That's true. So I, mean, we're, I don't know if anyone cares about that. But so it is true. We're definitely doing our part when it comes to diversity, so I just wanted to point that out. But we do have a white male as our guest today, so we're <laughs> bringing it back down to earth. But, yeah, I'm actually really excited about today's guest because it's a friend of mine. He's not a blogger. He's not a podcast host like the different guests that we've had in the past. He's just basically a Star Wars fan, and he's somebody that I, I feel like I'm kind of responsible for getting him into Star Wars. You know, I, I introduced him to the Expanded Universe He's been kind of devouring the uh, the post-Return of the Jedi novels. So I wanted to have him on the show and just kind of get a, more of a fan's perspective and, and not as much kind of how some of us are kind of so involved in the Expanded Universe community. I kind of wanted to have somebody that was just, just a fan and have him on and get his perspective on these. So our guest today is Adam Farmer. Welcome, Adam. Thanks, thanks. I, I can definitely say that you, uh, you brought me back. It was something that... Uh, when I was younger, I was definitely into it, but then something happened when I went to college, and then there you are. I came in contact with you, and you definitely brought me back from uh, the darkness, if you will, and got me back reading and loving. Yeah, you're you're one of my best Padawans, I could say. <laughs> nice. I, I've tried this on many friends, you know, try to, like, hey, or check out this comic, or check out this book, and, you know, for most of my friends, it didn't really seem to stick, but a couple people, it has stuck, and you're one of those... You know, I can actually now have conversations with you about, you know, Luke Skywalker and Mara Jade and all this, you know, all the stuff that most of my friends look at me like, what are you talking about? But <laughs> I can actually have in-depth conversations with you. So I appreciate the fact that you have uh, adopted this fandom. Aw, shucks. Happily in the fandom realm at this point. <laughs> well, you well, know, I've tried that with girls that are friends of mine. It doesn't seem to work as well, but I'm still working on it. I will get one eventually. Yeah, you just got to keep will, chipping away. I will, I'll hook one, and then it'll be awesome. Just out of curiosity, is there some type of quota that I need to be aware of that I need to hit at some point? For like, for like, uh, what? For bringing in new fans? Yeah, is there is there is there a certain number that I have to achieve every every year when it comes to new fans? One a year. That's why I say. It's like awesome. it's like a pyramid scheme. The more fans you bring in, the more midichlorian count you get, <laughs> and it just keeps going up from there. So nice, nice. <laughs> so Teresa, what what are we covering this month? This month we have the comic volume Lost Tribe of the Sith. It's called Spiral, and then the comic digest The Clone Wars: The Smuggler's Code. But first, we need to talk about a couple of things. I think specifically Zac Efron. And Ryan Gosling. 
<laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically the news, even though this isn't really expanded universe news, I guess it's kind of a big rumor that's going on right now. And um, they're, according to uh, like a, rumors, a, a rumor website, I think it's the Latino Review, basically they're saying that J.J. Abrams has had meetings with a, a few different actors about Star Wars Episode Seven. Now, I don't know how true these rumors are. Some of the names that he has talked to are, you know, pretty interesting names, like you said, uh, Zac Efron, Ryan Gosling. And apparently he's he's talked to Leonardo DiCaprio as well, who has already turned down a role in Star Wars Episode Seven. Well, that makes sense. I mean, honestly, I am a huge Leo fan. Huge Leo fan. I don't want to see him in Star Wars. Okay. I don't. I mean, I like him as, like, J. Edgar, and I like him in Titanic and Romeo and Juliet and other things, you know? Like, he's not a sci-fi dude. He's not a sci-fi dude. Yeah, but they said the the movie that he turned it down for is Robotech, so I guess he is a sci-fi dude, just not a Star Wars sci-fi dude. Well, that's dumb. Then I want him in Star Wars. <laughs> if he's a sci-fi movie, then it might as well be the best one, you know? Well, right. he's he's already out of the picture, apparently if we can take this rumor um, you know, with any grain of salt, but he's already out of the picture, which is fine with me. I kind of agree with you. It would be kind of weird to see Leonardo DiCaprio in, in a Star Wars movie, but the other two names, Zac Efron and Ryan Gosling, are also interesting. Kind of heartthrobs, you know, type of guys. I, I think, personally, I could see Ryan Gosling being in a Star Wars movie more so than Efron, but I don't know from... From your perspective, Teresa, I know like some of the some of what's going on right now, like kind of on Twitter and stuff, is people are saying, "Oh, Disney's making this move because they're trying to bring in the female audience." You know, so they're bringing in these heart heart throbs. Do you think uh, that holds any any truth? Um, I don't know. I mean, I've never been an Efron or Gosling fan, so like that's not gonna grab me. I mean, if they wanted to bring in a heart throb, then they need to throw Johnny Depp in Star Wars, and I'll be good to go. Okay. Uh, um, but that's never going to happen. Um, maybe. Uh, or they might be trying, with Zac Efron, they might be trying to appeal to the 20-somethings, like the ones that are just now in college because he was big when they were younger. Um, and Ryan Gosling maybe for those that are about my age or, you know, a little bit older. Um, so it's possible that they may be doing that, you know, but that was kind of the same deal with Harrison Ford, you know. I mean, he was kind of that sort of heartthrob character, too. Um, was he known day. at the um, time? He wasn't really, I mean, but a lot of people had seen him in American Graffiti. Okay. Um, and so I think that's kind of where they went with that. But even if they're trying to do the heartthrob thing, it's really going to depend on where they cast these characters. And if they cast them the way that the article was saying, um, with Zac Efron being... Um, Jason and Ryan Gosling being um, Ben, then um, maybe so, but I'm not sure. I mean, yeah. you know who I would love to see? I would love to see Will Smith in a Star Wars movie. See, I think, <laughs> I don't know, like his movies I used to really enjoy, but I feel like now he's just kind of playing that same character over and over again. Well, true. I think he's getting typecast, but yeah. I'm still going to stick with, I want Jennifer Lawrence. <clears throat> I want Jennifer Lawrence in Star Wars. I could see that. But before we do too much more fan casting, um, <laughs> what do you think, Adam, as far as the two names that have been brought up? Are you fans of those actors, and could you see them be in Star Wars? I, I 
to be honest, I kind of struggle with both of them. There's there's just something about both of those names that jumps out to me that says, not for Star Wars. I, I want someone who definitely has um, acting chops, someone who can carry a role, but I don't know if I want a name that has already been in lights somewhere. And I guess it depends on the role that they'd be cast, both those names that you've already tossed out. I don't know if I like them in those positions or those roles, but I don't know. Well, I would have to wait and see. It's one of those things that both of them scare me just because of what they bring along with them, um, how they've, the roles that they've played in the past. I kind of want someone unknown to, to come into the next movie and take it by storm. I kind of do too, honestly, except for Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I could see that one. I I mean she's she's not overblown at this point, and she's she's got some uh, good cred going with her right now. She will be after Catching Fire comes out and Mockingjay. Watch out, because that girl's gonna be on fire. <laughs> well, well, the update to the story apparently Ryan Gosling's people have already denied this rumor, so they're they're already saying that it's not true. Of course, they could just be denying it because, it, you know, they don't want that information to be out there yet. So it'll be interesting to see if this just turns out to be complete, completely bogus or maybe, you know, in a couple of years we'll see if, if those guys are actually in the movie. It seems like it would be a good move for them, though. I mean, really, what have they been in recently that has had that big of headlines? Nothing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you want to make a name for yourself... Number one, Star Wars. Number two, getting your name in ink with Disney would be huge. Yeah, well, and I think Star Wars can be, it can be a, movie, a type of movie that can make your career or break your career. You know, as you can see with, like, Harrison Ford, it made his career. Mark Hamill, it kind of broke his career. Ewan McGregor made his career. Hayden Christensen broke his career. So, I think so. a lot of it, too, depends on if you're a good actor or not. You know what I mean? So you're saying Mark Hamill's not a good actor? I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying he's a lot better at doing voice acting than he is on screen because he's really dynamic, like doing, you know, the video games and all that kind of stuff that he's done. And I think he's really, really good at that. I you wonder know? if that's improved him. I wonder uh, when he shows up in the next movie if it will be a completely different actor because of all the voice acting he has done. It's possible. Yeah. Well, this is a Star Wars Expanded Universe podcast, so we won't stick stick on this too much longer. But um, I guess the Expanded Universe connection would be that um, it is it was rumored that Gosling had had talked to J.J. Abrams for the part of of uh, Luke Skywalker's son. Now they didn't specifically say Ben, um, and who knows yeah. if he would be. He seems kind of old to be Ben, uh, the way we know him in the books. But it would be interesting to see. You know, they are. Inst- because a lot of the rumors were saying it was going to be a daughter of Luke Skywalker in the movies. So now if they have a son, you know, does that mean he has more than one kid? So, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out. Definitely. But um, we'll move on. What There is one thing going on right now that I know at least me and Teresa are completely jealous that we're not there. I'm probably sure that Adam would like to be there as well, is Star Wars Celebration Europe is happening right now. I wish we had sound effects right now, <laughs> like a sad sound. Like a Debbie Downer or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's going on right now in Germany, and like I literally did check flights because at the last minute because I'm thinking, you know what, if I can find a decent deal, maybe I will try to get over there, but it was way too much money, so I decided not to not to make the trip. 
But I don't know. I was looking at kind of like the different panel schedule and stuff. It doesn't seem like there's very much Star Wars Expanded Universe um, information going on over there anyways. And that's definitely a big part of what I'm interested in. So it might not, might not have been worth me making the trip anyways. I would have liked to be there for the stuff they're going to release about Rebels and then hopefully Clone Wars bonus content. So, but um, I really would have liked to be there just because I could have been there with all the Jedi News guys. Um, hi, Jedi News guys. Um, have fun without me again. Because uh, last year I wasn't at Celebration again. So this is two in a row. Two in a row. Two celebrations in a row. Oh, yeah, you're going to lose your fan card. I have no... I'm, I'm going to lose it. But I'm not because guess what we're doing? What? We're going to Dragon Con. Ah. <laughs> yes. I have never been to Dragon Con before, but yes, Me Teresa... Either. Teresa is right. We are the entire Star Wars Bookworm staff, which is two of us, are going to be at uh, Dragon Con. And they actually do have a lot of Star Wars Expanded Universe panels going on, so... I'm actually really looking forward to that. A lot of people we know are going to be there. The Tashi Station uh, group is going to be down there. So, Star Wars Report? Star Wars Report is going to be down there, of course, our, our parent podcast. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of cool fans down there. It'll kind of be like a – I'm going to try to treat it like it's like a mini celebration. You know, a lot of the same people I see at Celebration are going to be down there, and I'm going to try to hit all the Star Wars panels. So might not be able to go to Celebration Europe, but we'll have Dragon Con as a really good substitute. Yep, and so if you're listening to this and you're going to Dragon Con, hit us up on Facebook. Let us know you're going to be there. Yeah, definitely, and we might even have a little bit of swag. I think we're talking about doing at least buttons. You know, buttons are yep. easy. So We may have some cool stuff. Yeah, so we might even have some swag to hand out. So, if you, if you, yeah, like she said, if you're going, let us know you're going. Maybe we can do some kind of meetup. Um, that would be a lot of fun. Yep. So, what just happened? San Diego Comic-Con just happened, which we were not at. No. <laughs> but there actually wasn't that much EU stuff that came out of it. So. Yeah, there wasn't that much Star Wars at all that came out of it. No. Um, I think pretty much as far as the EU goes, the only big news was that the Honor Among Thieves uh, novel cover was revealed, if you can even call that big news. Um, so, Teresa, did you see the novel cover? Yeah, I have. Um, what do you think? Pretty much looks like they took pictures off of Star Wars posters and put them together. Yeah, but, I wasn't that impressed with it. I kind of like the Han image. Yep, I like That's the Han cool. image. But, I mean, the other, it, they all, it's just, it's typical imagery that we see for you know, original trilogy Star Wars. Yeah, I think overall, I like the color scheme, I like the Han, uh, the background pictures of Luke and Leia is kind of weird, and it's definitely not a really good image of Luke at all. No, it's not. Kind of one of his weirder looks. <laughs> what it's, did you... like the, it's like the face he has when he comes out of the, the Bacta tank, you know? Right, when he's sitting in that bed recovering or whatever? Yeah. yeah I think it might be from that, yeah. Is it, Just out of curiosity... Do you see any other pictures of Han holding a blaster with two hands like that? I don't think so. I think that, from what it looks like to me, is that they photoshopped Han's face onto like a model's body, like doing that pose. So I think that's a unique pose to the book cover. Now, I could be wrong. That that could actually be, you know, some stock photos that they had access to, but it does look a little photoshoppy. Yeah. So I think maybe that pose is just a, you know, a model that they had stand like that. 
kind of looks... Well, I just Googled it, and in almost every picture I see of Han Solo holding a blaster, it's with one hand. Oh, yeah. there you go. Kind of looks a little Charlie's Angelish. It does look Charlie's it Angelish. That's a, <laughs> that's a good point, Adam. I didn't even think about that until you said that. He's the middle Charlie's Angel. <laughs> <laughs> but because I am... Leia and Luke are on both sides of him. Oh. I am looking forward to the this series of books, um, just because we really don't have any, that much else to look forward to. I guess um, they're kind of they're kind of like it seems like they're putting the post Return of the Jedi expanded universe kind of on hold. There hasn't been any official word of that, but like anytime people are talking to the authors, like Troy Denning and Paulus Kemp, I know recently have said things like, "Yeah, we're kind of in a holding pattern right now," mm-hmm. so. So I think that these are the type of books we're going to be getting a lot more of. You know, they're going to kind of go back in the timeline, focus more on the original trilogy characters um, because they're wanting to shift that focus back to them because the new movies are coming out. So Which makes sense, but also makes me sad. It makes me sad, too, but I kind of just want to know, you know, what the plan is. You know, are there going to be more novels set after Crucible, you know, are we going to find out anything more about, you know, Alana, you know, Jaina, Ben, or are those characters pretty much done, and, you know, they're going to just focus on the new movies, so that's, I kind of want to know, so I can kind of focus, like, okay, am I cool with this whole multi-universe thing, or are they going to even have a multi-universe, we don't know. All right, well, let's go ahead and move on to our actual reviews here. Our first one is Star Wars The Clone Wars The Smuggler's Code, and Teresa, could you uh, give us the stats? Can I do it? Yes, I can. I love this part. Okay, Star Wars Clone Wars The Smuggler's Code. It came out June 19th of 2013, so we're doing our normal where we wait about a month before reviewing. Um, So this is your, this is, what do we call it? Oh my gosh, my brain just blanked. Um, If you haven't read it, and you don't want to know what happens, don't go any further from here. Spoiler warning. There we go. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but it was written by Justin Acklin, and the artist was Eduardo Ferrara. My mom's going to kill me because I didn't say that in Spanish. Eduardo Ferrara. Okay, timeline. Sometime during Season 4 of The Clone Wars. And our synopsis. When he encounters a criminal from his past, Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi strikes out, determined to fulfill a promise he made to himself as a young Jedi to bring in this fugitive on his own. While on the trail, Obi-Wan earns a favor from a local smuggler, but his devotion to working for his own benefit may be more trouble for Obi-Wan than his help is actually worth. Okay, so in this story, like Teresa said, it happens sometime during Season 4 of The Clone Wars, um, doesn't really give us an exact time or like what episodes it falls between, but um, we know that it happens during that season. And kind of the cool thing about these Clone Wars comics is now that the Clone Wars has been canceled, these are the only new stories that we have coming out from that kind of that you know universe, that Clone Wars universe. So I kind of like that they're still doing these. Now I don't think they have any more planned after this one. So this might be the last one until we get, you know, the bonus content from the actual show. But, you know, it's kind of a nice little holdover. We get, you know, a taste of that Clone Wars feel in these comics uh, before we can get more from the bonus content. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. And it's funny that you bring that up because I'm so used to having the Clone Wars um, series, and I'm so used to it just being, you know, not going right now, and that it'll just start up in, like, September. And I hadn't even registered that when I was reading this that there will be no Clone Wars. Again, we need the sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> so, Adam, were you a Clone Wars watcher? Did you did you check out that show at all? Uh, yeah, I actually did. Um, not... The day that it aired, I would always watch it after the facts um, on the Star Wars website. But I, I tried to keep up with it as much as I could. I know I definitely missed some major portions of uh, different story arcs, but I, I tried to keep up with it as much as I possibly could. Uh, did you watch the the final, like the end, the the season finale? I don't want to like spoil anything for you. Uh, I I didn't. Okay. So so we I, won't we won't talk too much about you know, what happened during the season five of the Clone Wars. We'll kind of jump into this story here. Basically, the story is that, at least at the beginning of the story, you have Ahsoka, Anakin, and Obi-Wan at this kind of beach resort, which is kind of an odd place, I thought, for the uh, these Jedi warriors to be during in the midst of this, this war. How, how did you guys feel about them taking a, a bit of a vacation? I thought it was weird, and I wanted Anakin to put his shirt back on. <laughs> I I did think it was odd, but I mean, right off the bat, they kind of draw your attention to it by Anakin not being too happy to actually be there. Um, so that kind of deflated it for me, even though it's still the entire time you're thinking they're just out sunning themselves while everything else is at war. Yeah, and and they definitely call it out in the comic. Obi-Wan specifically says, hey, you know, we're trying to take a... Even even Jedi need to take a break, or however he words it. You know, they might have just been on their way to, you know, some mission or whatever, and this happened to be on the way, and they're like, oh, we need to stay somewhere over the night anyways. Let's go hang out at the beach. But who knows? I did think it was a little interesting, but... So on the beach, basically, Obi-Wan sees this, this criminal that he had run into in the past, and he, you know, wants to capture this guy. I guess he made this vow uh, back when he let him get away before that someday he would he would bring him in. Uh, so he literally just leaves Anakin and Ahsoka and for whatever reason he gives them his communicator which they don't really explain throughout the comic. I don't think why. He gives it to them and says I'll get it when I come back. Or did I miss that? No, he just says that he'll get it when he comes back. He doesn't really tell you why he's doing that. Yeah, it was kind of weird, because then I you're think thinking, the, isn't he going to need that if he's chasing somebody and he might need help? And I think that kind of goes to the whole focus of, I guess, the main point, the moral that the comic was driving towards the entire time. Because at the end, it, he finally recognizes um, what he's been missing this entire time, and it was kind of that idea of, wow, I should have included my friends to help me at the end. So I think that's uh. kind of just to draw your attention to the fact that, He's going by himself. He's he's cutting all ties because this is his own vow that he he uh, called for. So um, basically, so he was ago. he was making it so he couldn't get help. So he right. he left that behind on purpose. Ah, okay. Right, because I think a lot of these these um, sort of digest Clone Wars books, and we'll get to this later, is that they are kind of kid focused. So they're going to have that whole you know lesson learned at the end, sort of like. Um, you know, like Full House. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> Disney, so, right? It's like a Disney thing. So, you know, they have to have the thing that starts it off in the beginning. 
and it's his whole vendetta to make sure that he does it by himself on his own, you know, I can do it, that whole kind of thing. Right, right. So I kind of see with Anakin. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, it definitely seemed a little out of character for Obi-Wan to be acting like this. But um, I guess that was maybe the point of the story. I did like the the look of the criminal that he was chasing. I guess he's a Shistavanin. I don't I don't know if I'm saying that right, but basically he looks like a wolf, like a a walking wolf. So I know we've seen that species before. I think they actually were in the the old uh, Gendi Tartakovsky Clone Wars series had a, a Jedi of that same species. Oh yeah, you know what? You're right. But yeah, this one, you know, it's kind of cool. Very it looks, you know, it looks kind of scary. Very formid- formidable opponent. Every time Obi Wan tried to capture him, you know, the guy fought back pretty well. So I thought, I thought that character was interesting. Um, and so basically, he 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 does capture this character, this guy. I'm just gonna read a little bit about the character if you want. I looked it up on Wikipedia. Okay, go ahead. Um, they're nicknamed Wolfmen, actually, for their lupine appearance, and they're from the planet Uvina, from the um, Uvina Prime, looks like. Does anybody know where that is? That's in Sector 7. No, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I can get my atlas if we really want to know. No, it's it's okay. But... but um, yeah, so they're nicknamed Wolfmen. Have a keen sense of smell, keen sense of hearing, excellent night vision. Cool. And his name was Timot Zoat, I think. Mm-hmm. So, which is a very Star Wars-y name. But yeah, so basically Obi-Wan does track this guy down, captures him, and then runs into this smuggler, uh, Rook Price, who is you know basically offers to take Obi-Wan wherever he needs to go. This guy is kind of an interesting character, kind of a Han Solo type, you know, out for himself. Uh, what did you guys think about him? I actually had that exact same thought, that he was kind of a Han Solo type, and even his attire sort of yes. gave you the feeling of Han Solo. And I don't think they ever said where he was from. Maybe they did, and I just missed it, but I kind of got that, that whole Carillion vibe from him. I was thinking he probably was Carillion. Yeah, I was looking for the stripes on his pants, but I, I never got a good view of his legs. <laughs> I kind of liked them. I mean, I'm, as the story progresses, it's one of those things where you find yourself um, face palming a lot because it's like, ah, oh, I just want you to be different than what you are. But uh, I, I kind of liked how he started off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he starts out where you think he's going to help. You kind of think he's going to help Obi-Wan, but they kind of tip you off when he's talking to the bartender that he's not a good guy. So you, you almost expect the double cross. And that definitely does happen. So it actually, I think he kind of, I guess you could call it like a triple or quadruple cross. It seems like this guy, you know, he wants to help Obi-Wan, and then he turns on him. And then he wants to help him, and he turns on him. So it's like they kept flipping back and forth. So basically he's hunting for, I guess, and the whole title of the the book is called The Smuggler's Code. And, you know, he explains to Obi-Wan that, you know, however you can make the most money is The Smuggler's Code. So Which that's makes sense. I liked him okay as a character, but I was actually kind of glad that Obi Wan didn't. Oh, never mind. That's at the end. Be quiet. <laughs> not, that's okay. We we already warned everybody about spoilers, so we can jump around if you want. Um, that Obi Wan didn't try and help him at the end. You know that he like he talked to him, but he didn't try to get him out of trouble, or he didn't try to 
Well, the guy did pretty much just turn on him. But the the thing about that too is is Obi Wan tried to give him a chance. You know, he basically the guy is the guy hears Obi Wan's story. Obi Wan tells him the story that back you know twenty years ago when he met up with this criminal, I think somebody died, right? Adam, was that what it was? Yeah, and that's that's one thing that I, that raised a question towards or for me at the end because. Obi-Wan just randomly throws out the name of Jesseph, or or however you want to pronounce that, of a friend that died, and he's basically trying to uh, avenge um, the death by justice, and it kind of threw me off, but yeah, um, he he definitely tells Rook that story, which kind of melts Rook's heart, at least temporarily. Yeah, I was going to say, at least you think it does, but it, it seems like he was still kind of, you know, trying to figure out how he could take advantage of Obi-Wan. But he, so he hears the story and he kind of feels bad. He takes Obi-Wan, um, you know, to this other area on, in the, like these islands. So it's very like Hawaii type feel to it, I think, because there's, it's very tropical. There's all these different islands. So they're definitely were, I think, trying to give, give you the Hawaii feel, even in the colorization of the way that it was drawn. Or the, the wonderful sunset scene as they're driving past on their speeder bikes. Yeah, um, the, the great Hawaiian sunset there. Yeah, and I, I got a very big like Lilo and Stitch vibe from it. I don't know. I know Teresa, you're kind of a Disney fan. Did you feel I, like it looked like Lilo and Stitch? Did you just think kind of? Um, <laughs> try huge. You know what? Now that I, I mean, when I was reading it, no, but I was reading it because I needed to get it read. You know. Right. But now that I think about it and kind of looking at the imagery, totally. There's totally Lilo and Stitch there. And Stitch is probably hanging out in the corner somewhere, you know, with little hands up in the air. Yeah, I almost wondered, like, if there was some kind of, almost like they purposely were trying to make it look very Disney-fied because of the whole Disney thing. But I don't know if this was drawn before or after that 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 buyout. But it was. Uh, it, it's kind of interesting because I just looked up the the illustrator and he even made some comment about how much fun it was just because of the the tropical colors and the location of the script uh it it made it more fun for him to illustrate so he probably just took it to the umpteenth extent when it comes to adding those colors and drawing that type of scene okay cool didn't you say something about uh i think we were talking earlier you said something about the artist was a little worried because of the disney buyout yeah, he 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 has a his own blog spot blog and it was in Portuguese cuz he's from Brazil so I I had to use the whole Google Translate so I ended up with some pretty funny phrases but he uh he he just made some comment about how he was kind of concerned cuz he'd put so much time into it and so much stress trying to get everything basically a dream of his to illustrate something like this and then he heard about the Disney buyout and he thought oh there there it goes all that time I put into it it's never going to see the light of day um, but then I guess he found out that Dark Horse actually had the contract for 2013, so he got back to work. But it, 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 at least from his perspective, it sounds like a pretty cool story just about how he's always wanted to illustrate something like this. And then here he gets the chance, and then he gets the whole climactic, oh, no, what's going to happen? And then it ends up working out at the end. Well, that's cool for him. That is pretty cool. And, you know, I like a lot of the art and the scenery and all that kind of stuff. I don't really like the characters' faces, really. But just because I guess I'm so used to the to the show and I'm used to the way that they look and they, in this particular comic, they, you know, they look a little more boxy. Yeah, maybe. they definitely didn't try to, to emulate the, the look of the show. 
Um, it, it definitely looks way more cartoony, very Disney. Like I was saying, it looked Lilo and Stitch to me. Um, I know, Adam, you were saying before that it kind of looked like, uh, what was that show you were saying? Kim Possible. Kim Possible. There's, there's just something the way that Rook Price's face is, like, angled downwards that I'm seeing someone from Kim Possible. Uh, what was that? Some guy that looks green. I can't find his name oh, right off the top of my head. Yeah, but. yeah. But I would agree with Adam that it's more of a Kim Possible look and actually more of, like, um, Hercules rather than Lilo and Stitch when you're yeah. talking about the Oh, movie. yeah. Um, the art and the the scenery and stuff is very very Lilo and Stitch, but the the human characters are very Hercules. Um. Yeah, definitely, I can see that. So yeah, but back to the story. Basically, this island is kind of run by all these different crime lords, or all the different islands are, and so Obi Wan is basically trying to f find his way through and figure out what happened to this uh, to Tmot, the criminal that he's chasing. Uh, so he goes through, he goes to one crime lord, uh, and, and basically Rook Price has taken him around, you know, to these different crime lords. But um, he goes to the one, and he actually ends up in kind of like a, a Geonosis-type situation, where he's thrown to these animals, and he has to fight them. And I thought there was a, kind of an interesting line where he, ba he says, Set your blaster to stun. These creatures are innocent in this. So he didn't want to kill the creatures that were, you know, that were sent out to kill him. And I, I kind of chuckled at that because of the scene from the Battle of Geonosis when he literally just, like, murders that acolyte. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, when did he grow a conscience about killing animals? <laughs> did you guys pick up Apparently, on that at all? Season four of the Clone Wars. Right, yeah. So I guess maybe after he, you know, he killed that, that poor acolyte, maybe his conscience got the better of him, and he, now he now he doesn't kill animals anymore. See, I, I picked up on him saying, set your blasters to stun, and I kind of just gave myself a little chuckle at that point, because then, I mean, it's followed very closely by Rook basically saying, I'll remember that, I'll remember that as they try to eat me, or something along those lines, and I kind of just, I don't know, it, it was a pretty good setup, at least in my mind, for a, a running joke. Yeah, and then, like, to top that off, then they get, they go into this pool, and there's these fish, and they call them, uh, what were they called? Like light, or they're called saber fish. fish. And the fish literally have lightsabers for noses. And like that, like I understand this is like a kids comic, and it's kind of you know supposed to be a little bit goofy. But that like took it to a whole new level. I thought like really, we're gonna introduce these these fish that have lightsaber noses into the Star Wars expanded universe. I, could, we are. We I was are. trying to figure out like any other possible solution to what these could be, but I mean, at the end, it's like, no, that it definitely has to be a lightsaber, doesn't it? Some type of saber or, blade. Or it's like that fish that lives, like, way, way, way down in the ocean that has that, like, light bulb that hangs off his head. Right, yeah. It's like a real thing, you know? The and thing is... Like, and electrocute people. If just the nose kind of, like, lit up, and it was just kind of for show, but they actually show Obi-Wan, like, hitting one of the noses, and, like, it can deflect a lightsaber, so it... You know, there's not supposed to be that many things in the Star Wars universe that can deflect a lightsaber, but apparently these fish can, and I've never heard of them before. But <laughs> I kept thinking of uh, Dr. Evil when he wanted the sharks with the frickin' lasers on their heads. <laughs> <laughs> so, ba so basically he gets through that, that crime lord and then, you know, moves on to the next crime lord. The next level. Yeah, right, the next level of the, of the video game. And that is where he finds T-Mot. He's actually there. Um, you know, so they, he's able to, 
I guess he kind of gets into some trouble, and then Anakin and Ahsoka show up and help him, and that's kind of the whole moral of the story, is that Obi-Wan was trying to do everything on his own, and, you know, he realized at the end that he did need the, the help of his friends. But through all of this, he actually did offer uh, Rook Price a position in the Republic, uh, in the Republic Navy, because he's such a good pilot, and Obi-Wan is trying to get him out of this kind of criminal life, so he offers him that. But Rook doesn't really take it, does he? No, and I was I was expecting the whole, at the end, like, hey, put the binders on, and Obi-Wan thinks he's getting the the turned over, and then Rook switches again, and it's one of those, like, grand, hey, you just have to trust me moments, and I really am a good guy, but at the end, it just didn't turn out that way. <laughs> yeah, I definitely thought that this was going to be a redemption story for Rook, but it just didn't, you know, it really didn't turn out that way at all. I was kind of hoping for that. That would have been cool, but um, I think that uh, the story is more of an Obi-Wan story, so... Yeah, and he does kind of learn his lesson at the end. He even, like, you know, even after they come and help him, and then at the end he's still thinking about taking the guy in by himself because I guess that was part of his vow. And so he was... But then he realized that, you know what, he's going to do this together with Anakin and Ahsoka. And so in the, in the end, Obi-Wan learns his lesson. All the kids that read the comic, you know, learn a good lesson. What did you guys think overall? Did you think the comic was worth a read as an adult? Was it kind of too kiddie? Would you read it to your kids? What do you think? Well, I wouldn't read it to my kids. I would make them read it because I am very concerned about children being able to read at grade level. Um, but <laughs> I, I do think it was really kiddie in its message. Um, I think the way they went about the story was in a very kind of kiddie sort of fashion. Um, and the art was a little bit on the kiddie side. But, like, and I like kid-related stuff. Like, I love it. But for me, I was just, I got a little bit bored. I hate to say it because I love Clone Wars, but I did get a little bit bored. Honestly, when it got a little bit better for me was when Anakin and Ahsoka showed up and, they were all kind of working together, having their usual banter back and forth and all what'd, that kind of stuff. What do you think, Adam? I I liked it. It was a it was a short little diversion. It was a fun little uh, quick trip through whatever islands those are, Weilu, wherever that might be found. I I thought it was a fun trip, um, fun story to just jump into really quick and then jump out of at the end. Uh, I would. I definitely see that it is more geared towards uh, the younger younger generations. Uh, my kids, I probably, once they are a little bit older um, and can actually read, probably wouldn't feel too bad passing this off to them and letting them look through it. Um, might be a good introduction um, yeah. for them to something that their dad enjoys. Definitely geared toward kids. We're not the target audience, but it was a really quick read. So I didn't feel like I wasted my time. I, it was an enjoyable story. I'd like to think that it's kind of not really in the canon. You know, kind of just like these these little digests are kind of their own little thing. Um, they live in the same, you know, the same universe as maybe that Phineas and Ferb special that's going to be coming up. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's it was fun to read. Some of the, the imagery was kind of cool. Ridiculous moments, but overall I enjoyed it. Um, wouldn't necessarily recommend it for to an adult unless you're like a really diehard, you know, Star Wars Expanded Universe fan that just has to like ingest everything. 
Um, this might be one you want to skip as an adult, but if you have young kids, you know, definitely something that they would probably enjoy. Right. Well, let's move on to our next comic, which is uh, Lost Tribe of the Sith, the standalone uh, volume. So it's the only uh, volume of Lost Tribe of the Sith comics. It's five issues collected into uh, one trade paperback that is titled Spiral. Um, and Teresa, give us the stats. So the Lost Tribe of the Sith Spiral came out on June 19th. It's written by John Jackson Miller, and the artist was Andrea Muti. It takes place about 2,975 years before the Battle of Yavin. And the synopsis reads, An ambitious and, wow, it's hard to say ambitious and Sith right after each other. <laughs> Sith rebel Spinner is about to upset the balance of a lost tribe of the Sith. When he is arrested for treason and sent away on a prisoner vessel, thoughts of overcoming his station, destroying the tribe, and even finding a way to escape into the galaxy led Spinner to a powerful, long-forgotten weapon. A rival stowaway Sith on that same vessel has her own ideas about the future of the tribe. They don't need eradication. They need a new leader. Her. Yes, girl power. <laughs> girl power. <laughs> it's interesting. Um, I know, Teresa, you're kind of a big fan of the Old Republic era, aren't you? Yay! So excited. Yes, I am. I know most, like, I'm more of a fan of the post-Return of the Jedi era, although I do enjoy Old Republic stuff. And I know, Adam, a lot of what you have read has been post-Return of the Jedi as well. But you did read um, Darth Bane, right? Yeah, uh, in the middle of the second book as we speak. So don't say anything. Yeah, no, uh, no spoilers for Adam. But, um, <laughs> so basically, you and then you read the Lost Tribe of the Sith ebooks too. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So you have you have a pretty good uh, you know basis for what what the story's all about. Yeah. I've always had a hard time with the Old Republic, just because of the timeline and there's so many thousands of years that it spans and it's just hard for me to remember what like Jedi and Sith were fell where because it seems like there was so many of them so this um, I guess this happens about 3,000 years before the Battle of Yavin um, but I really don't know where that relates to some of the other major events I guess it's kind of pre Darth Bane because Darth Bane's like a, a thousand years before Battle of Yavin I think but then right. it's like, but then it's after the old Republic video game. Is that right? Now, but, my question is because of where this takes place and kind of how this entire story came about. Does it even fit with the old Republic? Does it even feel like other old Republic things, or is it, or does it kind of stand alone just because of the story that surrounds and how they came to be and everything like yeah. that? Yeah. Definitely, it's definitely kind of because of the nature of it, because it's like they're stranded on this planet and they're cut off from the rest of the galaxy. It really doesn't, it almost feels like it doesn't really matter what where it falls in the timeline because they're not affecting events outside of that planet. Right. Um, so to kind of give you guys sort of an idea, the uh, Lost Tribe of the Sith, the e-boats and stuff, take place anywhere from between about 5,000 to... This timeline, 2000, about right around 3,000 years before the Battle of Yavin. As far as the game is concerned, uh, like the books Annihilation, Revan, Fatal Alliance, all that stuff, those are taking place at about 3,600 years before the Battle of Yavin. So this is actually going kind of before that. Um, but if it helps you, Aaron, it's before Night Errant. Ah. So it's before Night Errant, but after 
after annihilation. That take place in annihilation. Okay. So <laughs> annihilation, then Lost Tribe, then Knight Errant, then Darth Bane. Right, but the okay. Lost Tribe of the Sith, the e-books, they take place over a very broad period of time. Yeah. So yeah. this sort of fits in in there. Well, the cool thing about this series, too, is it, it does tie into a lot of other material, like we were talking about the Lost Tribe of the Sith e-books that are out there, also written by John Jackson Miller. Um, but then the, you know, the Lost Tribe stories actually tie into the, the Fate of the Jedi novel series, which happens post-Return of the Jedi. It also ties into the Paul S. Kemp novels because of the events that happen at the, begin, the beginning of... Um, what is it? Is it Riptide or Cross Current? That's the first one. I can't remember. But you know, at the novel, the events at the beginning of that novel tie in with the Lost Tribe as well. And then you have the the uh, the Vector comic series. That was that crossover series uh, that actually touched like Knights of the Old Republic, um, Dark Times, I think Rebellion, and one other series. Was it Legacy? But basically, it had this event comic where it crossed over across all the different series, and they had this, you know, Murr, Talisman, and that kind of all ties into this comic as well. So John Jackson Miller definitely, you know, kind of tied this in. So it's not, although it does seem to be kind of a standalone story, it has a lot of threads that touch other places in the Star Wars Expanded Universe. But um, let's let's talk about some of these characters here. We kind of have the, I would say, throughout the comic, it's basically two main characters. Uh, we have Parlin Spinner, who is this criminal um, that live that he's of the Lost Tribe of the Sith, but he kind of doesn't really want to go with the flow, I guess you could say. He's kind of he's he's very chaotic trying to, you know, you know, turn things over. And then you have um, Takara Hiltz, who is the Sith security officer um, that ends up, you know, with him throughout the comic. How did you guys feel? Which one of those two did you feel like was the main character? Because I kind of thought that Spinner was more the main character, but maybe uh, Takara was supposed to be the main character. I feel like it was a shared. Um, it was a shared story. You know what I mean? Like I felt like they did a good job showing both of them in equal amounts so that you knew that the story really was going to revolve around these two characters, which we find out in the end that it does. Um, but I think at first I was like you, I thought it was mostly about Spinner, but, you know, the more Takara got developed, and just in, I don't know who's Red Knight, Aaron, other than um, Aaron, but didn't you get a very... Um, like, God, what is her name? Kara. Kara Holt. Yeah, Kara. Didn't you get kind of a Kara feeling about Takara at points? A little bit, although I definitely felt like Kara was a stronger uh, character. Like, she's, yeah. she was more strong-willed. Like, she had a, a bigger presence in my mind. There um, was just a little bit about their personalities that I could see. Yeah. A little bit of them. So I knew it was John Jackson Miller. You know, yeah. because he seems to write his female characters in kind of the same way. And huh. even um, even Kaliska, who comes in later, she had a little bit of that same... There's just there's something gritty about his female characters, and I actually really like that. Yeah, and even the... Like, we'll get to it later on, but when they when they meet up with this, this other group and you have uh, this other character, Kaliska, that they meet, 
you know, she's kind of got that same gritty, you know, attitude as well. So, yeah, it's I can see what you're talking about. John Jackson Miller kind of has a certain style. But um, I, go ahead, Adam. I, <laughs> I was just going to say that I I would, could definitely see what Therese was saying towards the end where you definitely do get a good balance, especially some of the last um, panels that you see of um, even the the Grand Lord Hilts and some comments that he makes, but it seems like even throughout the comic, Spinner's always the the one that's doing the acting, and she's always reacting to things that he's doing, which I definitely think they play off of each other uh, very well. It's just I w- it seems like the the main focus, and it might just be the perspective that I was looking at it, but it seems like Spinner's definitely more of an actor throughout the entire story. Yeah, like yeah, I, I agree. I feel like he was he was more of the focus character um, in my mind. Um, but I definitely got a feeling, kind of like a Han Leia type thing between them, because there was definitely some sort of a flirtation going on, especially from Spinner's perspective. And she was very standoffish, like acting like she wasn't enjoying the attention. But then kind of at the end, you know, they they kind of hint that there might be some kind of a budding relationship there. So I was kind of thinking Han and Leia there. Did you get that at all, Teresa? Um, Han and Leia is very interesting to me because, you know, a lot of people turn to them as, you know, the couple and a Han and Leia sort of feeling. But, like, Han and Leia to me, while they're a great couple and all that, I don't immediately go to them when I think of a couple in Star Wars, you know, now they do have that whole, because Leia's really strong, and Han has a really strong personality, and the same with these two characters, but I didn't immediately go there. Um, I didn't really go anywhere, like, thinking of them in reference to anybody else that's a couple in Star Wars. I didn't do that. I just didn't go directly to Han and Leia either. Right. Yeah, it makes sense, because they really didn't, they didn't really portray them as a couple, but kind of more at the end, it seemed like they were you know, kind of alluding to the fact that there might be some sort of a, a, a relationship in the future. Yeah, the relationship was definitely shallow until, yeah. like, the very last page. And then it was like, oh, okay, I, I kind of see where this is going. But, yeah, I had a hard time seeing having a relationship in the forefront of my mind just with everything else that was going on. Yeah, well, as far as the story goes, basically Spinner, uh, he's, he tried to kill her, her father, who is the Lord of the Sith right now. Um and I guess he has kind of brought peace, I guess you could say, to the Sith community, which is always weird to me that there's this whole community of Sith. And, you know, based on the timeline that we that we know of for this comic, you know, these Sith have already been there for like 4,000 years. And in my mind, it's like if you have this culture of people that are like, you know, basically backstabbers and liars and all they care about is power, how in the world can they sustain any sort of a culture at all? And... I know you had some thoughts on that, Adam, as far as, like, if they were even, if you could even call them Sith anymore. Yeah, that's, I, I from the moment I started reading this comic, it was just one of those things that, or the spiral, it was one of those things that just kind of stuck out to me, because I keep on throwing around the term Sith, and even Spinner and Takara throughout the entire comic is, oh, well, I'm I'm the true Sith, or a true Sith wouldn't do that, and I just kind of sat back and I thought, wow, what would what would Bane say to that? How would Bane react to their definition of what the Sith are or how the Sith act? It's, I, it, it just caught me off guard. Like, are they actually, could we actually consider them Sith or are they just uh, happy imitators? 
Well, something just to bring up here, because I think we as Star Wars fans, you know, judging from everything we've seen, let's just go films only, we've associated the word Sith with a part of the Force that delves on the dark side and, you know, dark side teachings. And But the thing to keep in mind is that the term Sith is actually, you know, a species of beings. Um, and to quote Vistara Kai, um, you know, it's red-skinned beings that are from Korriban, you know. So the question becomes, are we talking about the Sith species or the Sith, I'm going to say Sith religion, you know, over Jedi, right. you know what I mean? And that's where it kind of gets confusing because then what are we really talking about here? And, Adam, you make a good point about, like, what would Bane think? But I think that's the great part about looking at the Lost Tribe of the Sith and even going back to, you know, Dawn of the Jedi. And I'd love to have a book that, or comic series that's all about the Dawn of the Sith. Because, you know, there has to be things that happen in succession to get to the point of where we get to Bane and where we get to the Rule of Two. But how do we get there? You know, what happens in the history to get us to that point. And this is just one of those things that we get to see all the different ways that they were trying to make things be, you know, but all it takes is one person, just like we find out with Bane. It takes one person with one idea and with enough passion and will to have it be the way that he sees it to get Rule of Two, which lasts, like, forever. Right. You know? And they definitely weren't the Sith that we're typically used to seeing because we're used to seeing the Sith in small numbers. They always use the Force. They always have lightsabers. Uh, but because this is an entire community of Sith, uh, it only makes sense that, I guess, throughout the thousands of years that they're there, that not everybody can use the Force. You know, not everybody is a warrior. Uh, so it was kind of interesting that you really didn't see that many of the characters using the Force at all. I think they had a couple panels, you know, where where you see a little bit of like levitation here and there, but overall, like, it wasn't like you had a bunch of these super-powered humans running around, you know, with force powers, even though it's an entire tribe of, of Sith, so I thought that was kind of interesting. But, was, like, Aaron, like I've said before, I like seeing the evolution of everything, so, you know, I'm not sitting here questioning, you know, why they're thinking the way that they're thinking and why are they at this, you know, period of peace. I'm looking at it from the perspective of this is really cool that this is the way they are right now. How did they get here? And then right. where does it go from here? You know? Right, like which I, I don't think we'll ever find out because <laughs> the, the Lost... I mean, I don't think there's any more plans to make any more Lost Tribe comics. Um, you know, so this is, this is probably the last story that we'll get from the Lost Tribe, which is, you know, unfortunate because it is a nice setup for... You know, they could go in a lot of different places with it. But um, I don't know if it just didn't sell that well or what, but yeah, I'm pretty sure they're not planning on making any more. Which is depressing. Yeah. No, especially the way that it ends. It's, yeah. it's a nice setup. Um, so basically, uh, Spinner, you know, he tries to assassinate the, the Sith Lord, but he doesn't. he's not successful. He gets sent on this ship uh, kind of as his punishment. Instead of them killing him, they send him on this ship, this labor ship or whatever. Um, and uh, Takara actually stow, stows away on the ship because she believes that it's going to take her to this place that she can, I think she kind of says something like, you know, I can take that place over 
really mm-hmm. easily, and but they don't actually go where she thinks it's going to go, and then they try to mutiny, and there's you know all these different things happen. But basically, uh, it gets to the point where they find out that there is this this group of people called the Doomed that have been on the planet even before the Lost Tribe got there, and they're there because there was this battle between the Jedi and the Sith above the planet, and it crashed. They crash landed on the planet, and the Jedi and the Sith had this this great battle, and they're basically the survivors. Uh, who have have created their own community over 4,000 years, and they are protecting this weapon, I guess. Um, what is up with this planet that everybody keeps crash landing on it? Yeah, is it just like pop out in the middle of nowhere? I don't know. Because <laughs> that's exactly how the Lost Tribe got there, and that's how this other group, the Doomed, got there because of these crashed ships. So it's it's just interesting that everybody keeps crashing on this planet. You would think in this giant galaxy that... You know, they would have ways of avoiding that. Isn't there something in one of the short stories about how they they never encountered a gravity well in hyperspace before, and that's what brought down the Omen when they originally crash land? I think I remember reading something like okay. that. Okay. Well, that's good that there's some kind of an explanation, because I was really confused. Like, I, I was just like, man, they use that same, you know, story, basically, <laughs> for both groups. Like, I, but, yeah, if there is some reason, like some kind of gravity pull or something with this planet that's unique, then it does make sense, you know, that, that people would crash land there. Um, and the planet's called Kesh, right? Yeah. Yes. Right. So well, this, you know, the one thing about the Doomed, just to bring up, is that they have, um, like, a code of the Doomed, kind of like there's a code of the Sith, and it's very similar, um, except for the fact that they blame the Force for enslaving them and dooming them for life. But um, it's kind of interesting because I do really like the Code of the Sith. Yeah, they, and, I mean, it makes sense that they would have a code because I guess they originated from, like, a group of Sith and Jedi. So, it, you know, it would make sense that they would kind of come up with their own version of that um, because that's what they know. Uh, with the Lost Tribe of the Sith, you have, they're pretty much all humans, and then there's the Kashiri, I guess, I think is what they're called, the natives of the planet that they're using kind of as slaves. But then um, with this doomed group, it's like a whole conglomeration of, you know, different species. There's a Wookiee, there's, um, there's some Rodians, I think. There, you know, there was a handful of different species that have, have all kind of lived over this, this 4,000 years and been able to populate. Um, the one character that's kind of, I guess you could say, kind of their leader is uh, Kaliska, and she Love is her. she's actually of the species, and I don't, I have no idea how to pronounce this, but I think it's like the Sky Tree or Skytree. <laughs> but <laughs> she and I, I actually kind of looked this up, so I didn't know this off the top of my head, but she actually is of the species that has not been seen in the expanded universe since uh, the Star Wars Annual from 1979. Wow. So it's this winged species. They kind of look like, uh, you know, bats or almost like a gargoyle type thing. Um, I thought it was a little strange of a species because obviously John Jackson Miller, the writer, you know, he probably kind of dove into, you know, some of this old material and was looking for a species to bring into the comic and came across this species. I mean, they literally have only ever shown up in one thing, and now he's using them in this. And I thought it was kind of an interesting choice because they're one of the more ridiculous-looking species, kind of that, you know, those Marvel comics from back then, you know, that's what brought us Jackson, you know, the the giant green rabbit, 
you know, there's another species in that same issue with, um, in that Star Wars annual where they, they look like cats. And I think they're, their species is actually like Catman or something. <laughs> I forget the exact, but like they weren't very creative, you know, back in those Marvel comics when they were coming up with these alien species. So it was interesting that John Jackson Miller pulled this very strange species into his comic. Wasn't, and sorry to go back to the to the novels or the short stories, but weren't they when the Omen crashed? Weren't they carrying crystals of some sort? Were they carrying uh, crystals for lightsabers at that time? I thought maybe they were doing something they, like that. But. They might have been, yeah. Yeah, and there it's was. It's kind of funny because the Doom don't have it because you kind of look back as you go through the different pages and they show the, the destroyers and the protectors and they still have their battery packs on their belts and obviously those ran out because none of them have lightsabers at this time. <laughs> but the Doom could have gotten rid of all that stuff because you can tell that they, you know, they don't like, they like peace. They don't like the fact that they're descended from Jedi and Dark Jedi. You know, and they don't like the fact that they're in tune with the Force. Like, they try not to use it. So it's very possible that they could have shunned all of that. Right. Well, back to the, the doomed. And, and basically, like I was saying before, they're protecting this weapon. And then we find out that Spinner, you know, he thinks that he, he can use this weapon. So he actually releases it. And it turns out to be not really a weapon more than just a guy. And he is one of the founding Sith Lords. And he is from, like you know, from the original people that crash-landed. Uh, so he's like 4,000 years old. A little history on the character, he actually was mentioned in the Vector comics that I was referring to before, and the whole Murr talisman and all that stuff ties in. Uh, so it's kind of a nice callback to those comics. Um, but yeah, so he has this this talisman with him that I guess was supposed to steal his soul? Am I right? Yes. But it, he ended up making it so it actually helped him live longer. I don't know. I was kind of yeah. confused. <laughs> like he was supposed to lose all of his memory and those kind of things so that if he were ever released that he wouldn't be himself. But the the talisman essentially prevented that from happening to a severe degree. So he was able to regain his memory as we see over the course of the five issues. Right. And he and he basically wants to take over the Lost Tribe um, because he thinks they're not being good Sith. You know, he doesn't think that they're living by kind of the, the Sith way of life. They've become too watered down, and he wants to take them over. But his real, his real goal is to get off the planet. And as his memory starts to come back, he remembers that there's a ship hidden somewhere. Before they, before they do that, though, he actually releases these, uh, these Leviathans, um, which are these giant creatures that like suck people's life force out of them? Very interesting creature. Very old Republic. You know, this is definitely not something you would ever see in kind of like the current timeline of Star Wars. This Although, was actually this was actually my first encounter with them, and I have to say, like up to this point, I always thought Sith Sith spawn was just a sweet catchphrase to throw around. Until now I know what comes from Sith Spawn. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I was kind of surprised when they started popping up everywhere. Well, yeah. the, the thing that got me about these creatures is, do you guys know anything about the traditional what a Leviathan is? Like in, like, our lore? Yeah, like Old Testament Leviathan. Um, Maybe Adam would. I don't. <laughs> Some description of what uh, it sounds like. So, yeah. 
Well, a leviathan is traditionally viewed as a sea monster, and they're referred to in the Old Testament. Um, and a sea monster, which eventually, like, got turned into just giant whales, sort of like Moby Dick-type whales, you know? But, so when they said leviathan, like, my head immediately went to, like, giant sea creature. And then I saw it, and I was like, or not. (laughs) (laughs) Which is interesting, because in the Legacy comics, there are uh, sea, I think they're called sea leviathans. Mm-hmm. And they're basically what you're describing. They're kind of the same as these leviathans, except they're underwater um, in the in the Legacy comics. So I had seen them in the Legacy comics. I do remember there was actually a series of comics um, about the Jedi Academy, so like kind of a New Republic era, where they had to face off against the leviathan. So I was I was familiar with these creatures. So when they when they showed up in this comic, you know, it, I had already kind of been used to what they are, what they do, but they're definitely very strange. I just think it's interesting that they would bring in a creature that has sort of, you know, very religious tie-ins, if you, you know, know anything about that stuff. Yeah, I didn't I didn't make that connection, but yeah, that is interesting. And maybe they just thought the name sounded cool. Probably. But. <laughs> I'm not thinking about it too much. <laughs> Yeah, so basically these leviathans are, are wreaking havoc, and um, through all of this, they they uh, they discover that the ship is actually buried, like right in the city, and uh, Spinner decides to get there first and take off and get out of that place. Um, I thought it was interesting because there was a couple situations in the comic that Spinner, he's been he's basically out for himself. He's kind of cutthroat. Um, he's he's killed multiple people throughout the comic in cold blood. And they kind of show him as having a soft spot for uh, Takara. So there's a couple of situations where he could have escaped or could have gotten away, but then he decides to go back to help her. And I, I red. What's that? He calls her Red. He red, gives her yeah. a nickname. If you give somebody a nickname, it means that you like them. Oh, okay. Well, not all the time. I'll, I'll, have, to, I'll have to remember that so I don't give no, the wrong signals to people. It, it means that they're, you gotta, it, they've got to be important to you in some way, whether it's negative or positive, for you to give them a nickname. Right. And, it, yeah, like I said before, there was definitely, from, coming from his perspective, I saw a lot of flirtation. She seemed to be much more standoffish. Um, but, yeah, so he, he really does, like, he's all out for himself unless she's involved, and then he suddenly, you know, has a heart. Which is good. We like our male leads to have a heart somewhere. Right. They just didn't show it anywhere else. And, like, I kind of had wished that maybe throughout they hadn't shown him just kind of murder. Like, there was a lot of times where, you know, he was throwing those little glass shard darts or whatever it was, like, right into people's throats, you know, and just killing people in cold blood. So I was kind of having a hard time taking him as a redeemable type of character that he was going to end up being good in the end, which he ends up being good in the end. But I felt like he had done so many bad things before, it was kind of hard for me to take him as a good guy at the end. Yeah, and I don't know if you're really supposed to take him as a good guy at the end. You're just more supposed to, like, maybe accept him, you know, and to kind of wonder, like, where is he going? Because now he's got Takara at his side, you know, sort of. And it open-endedness. Yeah, and it is a it is a tribe of Sith, so I guess we can't really expect any of them to be good guys per se. Right, and that's what always gets me about these stories because you you find yourself wanting to relate to them like you would 
to any hero in any other story. And then you find yourself having to remind yourself that, wait a second, uh, maybe I shouldn't be relating to him. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't want to be able to uh, put myself in his position. But, yeah, I, I, I would kind of go with Therese and say, I don't know if we are supposed to see him at a good guy, as a good guy at the end, but he definitely, that open-endedness at the end kills me. The fact that I, I, the, I, the concept of two hands and just the idea of what could happen with these two teamed up, it makes me want more. Seriously. Yeah, and they dropped that whole line of of him of her being a hand. You know, obviously Emperor Palpatine kind of used that strategy in the expanded universe, where he had a lot of of these hands, including Mary Jade. So it was kind of interesting to see that that wasn't something that started necessarily with him, but it had been in the Sith, you know, you know, way of life, apparently before. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, yep. definitely. And I, I like I'm still. I guess trying to piece the timeline together because is this something I keep on seeing this as just an isolated story, but at what point does this story interact with other stories or doesn't it? Is this just a microcosm in and of itself? Well, they, they basically, you know, spoiler alert, they, they do <laughs> like Gilligan's Island. They do eventually make it off the planet, but uh, it's, you know, well into the future uh, post return of the Jedi. And that's where the whole fate of the Jedi novels come in because they're actually, once they get off the planet, then that's where they they uh, have a clash with Luke's you know Luke's Jedi. So, huh? Um, and you'll get there eventually in the books, Adam. So, <laughs> yep, at some point. <laughs> but yeah, so they do eventually. The tribe does find a way off the planet, but it's just not for a very long time. Um, so they don't really they don't really have anything to do with what the modern Sith look like. The whole rule of two and all that stuff happened through uh, Darth Bane and carried on with, uh, you know, Plagueis and Palpatine. So they don't really influence the way the, the Sith look to us now. Right, but Aaron, like, here's my question. Like, do we have this lost tribe of the Sith, and then we have Sith somewhere else? Because where Bane comes from, you know, he comes from a community of Sith and all that stuff that's going on that, um, well, I guess not really spoiler alert, it happens in the first book, you know, that he sort of, like, ends their power reign. Um, but... You know, so do we have this tribe, and then we've got others somewhere else? Yes. Well, basically, the 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 Sith kind of splinter off. So basically, you have Bane's line actually goes all the way to Palpatine. So right. the rule of two continued all the way to Palpatine. Now, when when Vader killed Palpatine, that kind of ended all that. Now, then you have the one Sith who, which was started by uh, Darth Crate, who is from uh, you know the Republic comics. And they were kind of kind of the same idea as the Lost Tribe, except they were they were purposely staying in hiding, whereas the Lost Tribe was in hiding against their will. So in the modern expanded universe, there is the one Sith, and then there's the Lost Tribe of the Sith. So there's two groups of Sith now, um, and then the Rule of Two line is is completely gone. Right, but so like before the Rule of Two line, so before Bane, all of those characters that were building, you know, that Sith community and the Sith war and all that stuff, is that part of the One Sith or is that part of something else? No, the One Sith didn't happen until later, so... So um, it would have to be something else then. Right, it was basically like the Knight Errant era where there was just tons of Sith. Right, that, okay. That led to why Darth Bane wanted to start the rule of two because there were just got to be too many Sith Lords and you know, he wanted to consolidate the power, so Right. So we're just looking at two different sects 
Right. Yeah. It's like it's kind of like religion. You know, you have a lot of different people that claim to have the same religion, but they kind of go about it a different way. That's kind of how the Sith are. Lutherans, Baptists, Catholics, Christians. Right. Exactly. Undenominational. <laughs> <laughs> the thing so. is, is that this group doesn't know about the other ones, though. And that's what I. That's what kills me. It's like they. They don't know what's going on outside of their planet. They don't know. I mean, they have their own philosophy, and it looks like uh, Grand Lord Hiltz is, has his own books that he's trying to save and keep track of and study himself and figure out what's going on, which I want to know where he got those books from, um, whether they're his own recording. I guess over 4,000 years, a lot of, a lot of people had time to write, so... <laughs> but that is interesting. Uh, an interesting thing about the Fate of the Jedi series, Adam, is um, that is one of the things that the the Lost Tribe, when they leave the planet, they're expecting to find a universe that the Sith are in power. Uh. Because when they left, you know, when their tribe crash landed, the Sith were, uh, you know, a force that was still there. Well, now in the universe, obviously the Sith have been defeated, and so they expected to come into this universe where they were going to come back like, hey guys, we're here, you know, how's things going? And they find out that the Jedi have basically eliminated the Sith and, you know, they're very alone in the universe now. So it is an interesting dynamic. Huh. So. Add that to my reading list. Right. <laughs> You're almost done with the new Jedi Order, right? So Yeah. Have then you like just gotta three, get through left. You just gotta get through the Dark Nest trilogy and then the Legacy of the Force novels and then you can get to the Fate of the Jedi. So. <laughs> Sounds doable. Yeah. Well hey Adam, just be proud of yourself because you're further along than I am. I have decided to divert and just hang out in the old Republic era for forever. Um even though I've been told by Aaron and some other people that are our friends that I have a list of books to read, so. See, you might, after episode seven comes out, you might be in better shape than the rest of us, though. That's true. That is true. Cause true. We're going to have to wipe our memories of all that EU stuff in our heads, and you, you'll already. Maybe, maybe I'll just wait then. Well, you're going to have to read, you're going to at least have to read the ones that are coming out so we can. Well, I know, so. I know, but you know what I mean, like, you know what I mean. Yeah. You better start reading Crucible. Well, duh. <laughs> That's going to be a fun one to review, too, because that was one of those books that some people hated it, and some and some people liked it. I don't know if anybody really loved it, but, yeah, so that'll be fun to to go over next month. But let's let's wrap up this yeah. this review and uh, of Lost Tribe of the Sith. Um, what, overall, what did you think, Adam? Is this uh, Did you really like this one a lot or, or not so much? It was it was a fun read. I I think because it left me just wanting more. I wouldn't say that it was my favorite one. It didn't wrap things up in a nice little bow ribbon where I could feel like I had some closure at the end of it. It was it was an entertaining read. It definitely kept me, kept me interested as I went through it. There are a few things here and there that I just kept my or had to keep asking myself, okay, how did I get here? What 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 brought me to this place? Um so it, it was good. I wouldn't say it was my favorite thing I've ever read, though. And Teresa? Uh, I actually, I enjoyed it. I felt I feel a lot the same as Adam did um, or does. You know, it was a really fun read. It kept my interest. And out of the two that we've reviewed, it was definitely my favorite out of the two. It's not my favorite um, comic that I've ever read, um, Star Wars comic, but... You know, I did like the characters. I liked the development of the female characters. I liked how there were so many female characters. Um, 
I actually liked the artwork, and I liked the depiction of the female characters visually. Um, so I actually really liked that. And I know people are going to talk about catsuit women and all that kind of stuff, but I liked it. Um, and I liked her red hair. Um, overall, the storyline, I, I did find myself having to kind of go back a couple of cells every now and then and go, okay, how did I get here? Did I miss something? Did Should they have said something that I missed? Those kind of things. But um, I thought it was pretty good. Um, but it did leave me wanting a whole lot more, and I'm never going to get it, and I'm sad. <laughs> yeah. And who knows, maybe someday, kind of like the X-Wing novels, they they didn't write one for, like, however many years that was, and then they came back to it. So it, it could, someday, it's out there, they might come back and, and give us another volume of these. It just might not be for a while. But um, I I kind of agree with both of you. It was hit and miss for me. There was things about it I really liked. I kind of liked the Sith history part of it, uh, finding out more about, you know, how that guy ended up on the planet you know, that he was a Sith Lord, one of the original Sith Lords and, and all of that. Um, I found all that stuff interesting. I found the, the Doomed interesting. Um, I didn't really like Spinner or or uh, Takara. Like, the two main characters were not my favorite, so that I liked elements of the story, but didn't really like the main characters. Um, it's kind of where I fall down with it. So, overall, it was entertaining, interesting read, um, but it definitely had things about it that I didn't like. Um, overall, it sounds like we were all kind of iffy on this one. Didn't love it, didn't hate it, right? Right. Yeah, all right. I'd say that's it. fair. All right, so we're going to go ahead and wrap up for this episode. So next month we're going to be reviewing... Uh, we actually have three different things that we're going to review next month, so we might actually break it into two separate episodes. This is the first time that we've had you know, three, three things all fall in the same month. So we're going to do the Collected Purge comics, and uh, we're also going to review Agent of the Empire Volume 2, Hard Targets. And then probably in its own episode, we're going to do a review of Crucible. Um, that one's going to be fun. Like I was saying, it's kind of one of those novels that it got a lot of people up in arms. There were, there were some pretty strong opinions about it. And I would say I could even use the word hate. A lot of people hated this book. Um, I wouldn't say that I hated it, but I definitely didn't think it was the greatest book, so we'll definitely have fun talking about that one. Hopefully try to get somebody on that actually enjoyed it, so we can kind of bounce back and forth and find out, you know, what they did like about it, and kind of look at the positive side of that novel. So that's what we're going to cover next month, and Teresa, how can people reach us? Um, well, really quick, before I, before I say that, I just want to apologize to our listeners for not being on last month's show. Um, as you guys know, every now and then, real life um, grabs a hold of you and takes you away. So, um, was definitely not here by um, circumstances I couldn't avoid. But we're going to try to avoid that in the future. So, I just wanted to make sure you guys know that. Um, also, um, to find us, you can find us on Twitter at SWBookworms. You can also shoot us an email with your, you know, thoughts anything you want to share at and it's Star Wars bookworms at gmail.com also go on to Facebook look for Star Wars bookworms like us on there and you can actually keep up to date with us on Twitter and Facebook a lot easier because we tend to post quite a bit of stuff on there um, news related so books and news related especially with anything that comes out from celebration Europe we will be 
putting up either on the Twitter feed or on Facebook. Yeah, if you, definitely. If you don't like us yet on Facebook, we're not just trying to get like as many likes as possible. We know it's not like a popularity contest. We actually do post a lot of Star Wars Expanded Universe news as it comes out. Uh, we try to stay on top of things. So if you're only following us, you know, if you're only listening to the podcast or you're only on, following us on Twitter, definitely go over to Facebook and like us because that is where we post most of the like kind of breaking news as as uh, for the Star Wars Expanded Universe. Um, and before we go to, I want to let Adam, you know, plug himself. Anything that you would like to plug your Twitter account, or do you have any, <laughs> anything else? I know you. I know you don't podcast or blog, uh, but you know. Hey, it's, it's always been a dream of mine to uh, plug myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, if you if you want to follow me, that's fine. On Twitter, I'm a underscore farmer, so it's pretty easy to to follow me. Uh, really. I don't tweet about much random everyday stuff, but hey, if, if you're into that, definitely follow me. You should, Adam, you should, uh, there's a lot of Star Wars fan sites out there that are always looking for writers. Maybe you could uh, hit some of them up and see if you can uh, contribute. You definitely have a lot of good knowledge. Uh, it'd be fun. I might be interested. I Man might have to look around. Fangirl next door. We're, we're putting that out there, so any of you fan sites out there that are looking for writers, uh, you know his Twitter You know his Twitter now, so hit him up. Hey, yep. I definitely appreciate it. I, thanks for having me on. It, it, it's been a blast. I love talking about this stuff. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely we'll add you to our rotation, so hopefully we'll have you back on again soon. Nice. Yep, and if you want to find um, either me or Aaron personally, you can find me at Ice Cold Penguin, or you can find Aaron at A.V. Goins. G-O-I-N-S. All right. So if, if any of you are going to Dragon Con, let us know. Hit us up. We will see you guys down there. And for now, we are going to say goodbye. Bye. Teresa, you're supposed to say, may the force be with you. Oh, yeah. Okay, sorry. May the force be with you. Like <laughs> <laughs> S-foils in attack position. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. Maybe we should adopt that one.